he grabs your crotch uh, and identifies that you are not actually the general because that's not his penis. <laughs> this is oh, this is what we have. This is this is queer representation. <laughs> Welcome to the Glasshouse Game Show, recorded not at all um, in Glasshouse Bright Lane, but definitely partially still in London. I'm Samantha, and today I'm joined by Astrid. Hello. Uh, Alex CG. Hi there. And our special guests today are Kylan Coates. How's it going? And Rowan Williams. Hey there. Two of the developers at Crispy Creative who are working on a long journey to an uncertain end. Um, today we're going to talk about sci-fi inspirations and queer representation. Um, but first, Kylan and Ryan, for those who may not be familiar with your work, would you like to tell us a bit about um, yourselves and a long journey to an uncertain end? So for me, I mean, I've, I've been in the games industry for about um, over 13 years now. Uh, mainly working in the UX UI space, user experience, uh, user interface space, uh, working um, on everything from the publisher side to the developer side to AAA games and now to, uh, to smaller indie titles. Um, uh, Rowan and I actually um, first met at, uh, at Obsidian Entertainment. We were both working on a game uh, that's probably the polar opposite of a long journey to an uncertain end. I think as far away as you can get, it was a, a modern tank fighting game. Um, but uh, uh, we met there um, first, worked well together. Um, I know for uh, for me, uh, I went from, after that game, I worked on Outer Worlds uh, for a bit and then went um, full-time indie about three years ago. Um, started up Crispy Creative initially as a studio to UX UI for other clients, uh, for other game studios. Um, and then a couple years ago, started uh, started working on a sci-fi game where you're a sentient AI fleeing an abusive ex, uh, which ended up becoming a long journey to an uncertain end. Game where uh, uh, we're running our Kickstarter for right now. Um, and I could talk a ton about it. I really, really love the game. But before I go more into that, I'll let Ro talk a little bit more about their their background. <laughs> um, hey, yeah, I'm Rowan. Uh, I'm a narrative designer and writer on A Long Journey, and I've got a background in writing and editing in the industry. I actually got my start at Blizzard in 2007, not in narrative, but in QA, and by helping out with edits on the strategy guide that was being put out in association with their latest release. I don't know if anybody remembers strategy guides, but uh, mm. it was a long time ago. <laughs> I've, uh, I've been in and out of the industry over the years, too, so that's not to say that I've been doing this for almost 15 years now. Um, but yeah, I met Kylan at Obsidian when we were both working there in 2015, I think. Um, and I went to Telltale after that, working on like branching narrative and cinematic games. And now I'm full-time at Riot working on um, their game Legends of Terra. So that's kind of my background in the industry. So just uh, before before we get down to talking about um, the game itself, um, we just wanted to ask sort of like um, how things have been with Crispy Creative and developing this game with the pandemic and everything that's going on in 2020 now into 2021, how you've been managing. Oh man, 
Um, I know every, uh, pretty much every meeting we do start out with just to like, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> How's everybody doing? <laughs> uh, a quick check-in. Um, I know at the beginning of um, beginning of the pandemic, on the on the crispy creative side. Uh, so I, I'm the founder and creative director at Crispy Creative. I probably should have said that um, at the beginning, uh, but we did try to uh, uh, we did try to make some efforts to make sure that like everyone was okay uh, and take off as much stress as we could from people. Um, so everyone who's been working on the game has been working on it uh, on on contract. So in their time, most people are. Uh, either still in, still going to classes or have full-time jobs. Um, so people have been working on it in their spare time. Um, now that said, we've also been really, try to be really, really on it of like, don't crunch, don't work crazy hours, like try to have work-life balance. Um, so the pandemic just sort of added on top of that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so in the beginning, we, we did things like um, all of our contractors, we removed all late fees from any of the work of like, hey, look, gonna take longer there's a freaking global pandemic okay <laughs> you know it's yeah. not uh we're just making you know we're just making a game it's uh while, while it's important to us it's not worth anybody um losing physical health or emotional health or relationships or anything over so we needed to push things back that's okay um the kickstarter launching now this is our actually our third attempt at, at or our third <laughs> third uh try at starting the kickstarter um we uh, uh, we kept pushing things back again, just as as different items came up. Um, but uh, uh, on top of that, we've just really we've been uh, pushing pushing the work life balance, making sure people have they need mental health time. It's totally okay to take that. Um, we had a pretty big event here in the states about a month ago uh, in the capital. Um, so just being vocal in our in our Slack and making sure everybody knows, like, hey. Take today and just be still, you know, watch media if you need to. Don't, uh, if that would be more helpful, but, you know, make sure everybody's okay. So um, it has been stressful, but then just as, as a company, we've been trying to really make sure everyone has the time to, time and the space to breathe. Um, if people take mental health days, we still pay them for their hours. Uh, so trying to alleviate some of that, like, you know, don't worry about the the pay. You know we'll still pay you. Um, just take the time and be okay. Um, anyways, from the management side, that's kind of been what what I've been trying to do with the pandemic. Can you imagine uh, if the whole industry was like that? Amazing. <laughs> oh. I can't. <laughs> I mean, that's a bit of why Crispy exists. Is a bit of I've I've been in the past uh, been pretty critical of management other studios. So Crispy Creative was sort of a like put up or shut up. You know, yeah. um, mm. and we do it. Uh, when people take design tests, we pay them for their time. Um, you know, we are, it's not, it's not a ton, uh, but we do, you know, give a little bit of, of financing there just again, to prove like people have value, people's time have value, has value. And we need to respect that, um, as, uh, as future colleagues, you know, people who we are interviewing, even if we don't work with them, then we could work with them somewhere else and we value their time. Uh, so we need to give them a little bit of compensation for that. Um, that's kind of why we're here to, to sort of show everybody else. This is how you can do it. This is how you can keep the lights on and do it. Yeah. That's amazing. 
all of that is is true and correct uh having been someone who benefits from from those various like aspects of working with crispy creative um i would say too one thing that kind of didn't change for us with regard to the pandemic is that we have people kind of globally and so it's uh it's something that we're kind of used to doing in terms of accommodating schedules um which you've also done for us today so thank you uh, but with regard to people who are like working over in Sweden, I think that's where one of our, our people is. And um, we have people on like the East Coast. So it's just sort of come naturally over time that we are able to kind of like accommodate various schedules and, and timing and stuff like that as well. Awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that you've all been looked after and you're all managing okay over everything. Um, in terms of in terms of the game itself, um, because I think this this popped up on my like Twitter, and it's one of those things like I think um, like the trailer came up with a little like synopsis, and it's one of those things that I remember immediately going, "Yes, this is exactly my jam." Like, um, and particularly to talk about some of the inspirations and stuff, because I think you've um, cited um, sort of the works of Becky Chambers, um, stuff like uh, um, "A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet." And um and also the art of like Mobius, um, which are like that's like two just key sentences just joining there to be like yes this is absolutely my jam so just yeah just run us through like sort of the stuff that sort of has influenced you and you've brought to the game and you're drawing on for sure um I'll I'll start uh a bit and then and Ro feel free to to jump in um with elements that have that have resonated with you um. Becky Chambers, uh, her writing style, and and again, I've, as we've talked more about her, I've I've discovered how big of an author she is. I, before I was like, oh, this is such a, I love this sci-fi. It's so cool. More people <laughs> should know about her. And then when we've said like, we like Becky Chambers, everyone's like, oh my gosh, I love her too. And I'm like, whoa, there's a lot of people out there. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, her writing style, her inclusivity, and just sort of showing this. Um, optimistic sci-fi view and how that could look um, has uh, has definitely been a big influence. Um, I think that, uh, you know, what does sci-fi look uh, without homophobia, transphobia, misogyny, all that kind of stuff? What does that, what does that look like? Um, and also what are the, what are still the problems? Because people will create problems no matter what. So, yeah. uh, what does that look like? And we, we are exploring that quite a bit, actually, in, in a long journey. Um, but uh, uh, the, the visual art style of Mobius um, is just really beautiful. Uh, the line work, but also just the colors. Um, it's something that uh, I've always I've always liked and just haven't seen it in games as much. Um, so that was just something where I was like, oh, let me just try it. Like, it looks cool. It was inspiring me mm -hmm. when I was younger. Um, let's just try it. It it's, seems to work. Um, the the space opera was something that always intrigued me, um, especially in like uh, in the film The Fifth Element. Just the big visuals over the top. Mm -hmm. um, it was a place where I want to be there. I want to be in that. I want to see the big colors. I want to you know listen to Ruby Rod. Like I want to see you know see all of that big beautiful colors in there. Um, and that sort of expression, uh, I think there, there's something that resonates with the, with the queer experience of just expressing yourself in these big, bold, beautiful ways, um, which mm -hmm. kind of drew me to, 
all of that to the, the space opera is kind of that you know the fifth element is um uh does some interesting things in those those big visual presentations um so those were uh, uh that was inspirations there um Ro, I, don't, I don't know if you had anything there before i i can talk about this game for hours and hours and hours so i'm <laughs> trying to be cognizant to not just like dominate everything i think we could do a whole other podcast on how gay space operas are as well so yeah. oh my uh, god oh yes my god. as a concept <laughs> as a concept yeah no just as a uh, an entire phenomenon <laughs> yeah I, I mean i was not involved with sort of the genesis of the project that's all kylan but i can tell you what made me really hype to work on it was you know it's legitimately exciting to hear about the characters involved and what the game would entail the role you play and certainly like being out and open and i don't know that that to me is so unique about this game like that's what really excited me and and wanted uh made me want to work on the game so that, that's something that we've talked about in the past on ghg is like um the difference between games that kind of because there's been a few in the industry not necessarily shade although maybe i'll let others throw the shade but there have been <laughs> games that um you know, they upfront it in a way which it's it's obviously you know it's good to have representation, but they're in a way where it it, it feels like a like a scoop almost the like first game to have X identity, and there's a way in which you know that can I think feel uh, really good for some people because it's like it is this landmark and it feels historic and all that, but there's also something to be said for I suppose in all like art forms like when you when you can experience a kind of like queer art that doesn't it doesn't feel like it has to justify itself and it just exists, which, which doesn't mean there won't be problems or mm. I, I imagine, I hope that there's like character conflict as well in the game, but it's just that but is, an experience colors... where the queerness isn't the spectacle. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and the spectacle yeah. comes from mm. the conflicts between the characters and maybe even things specific to their identities that wouldn't happen to other characters, but that it, it unfolds in a way that is not just like, you know, people, you know, like the zoo effect of people crowding around to be like, well, can't wait for the scene with the, the insert adjective here character. Um, so that it yeah, strikes me um, like it's infused in the game. I think, I think there's something that you touched upon when you talked about Becky Chambers and stuff and this idea of sci-fi where, yeah, you don't have those things and it's like, where do you go from there? And I think, I think it's been a little bit of a frustration over the last few years um, of like sort of seeing science fiction and particularly like stories that are imagined to be so far in the future and yet feel so conservative in the way that they imagine those futures um and so and in games i mean there's so there's so little even where there are like um there are um queer elements or queer characters it's often sort of side stuff or it's a part a small part of something even in stuff that's quite well known for it well regarded like mass effect and stuff it's not like mass effect as i wouldn't say mass effect as a whole is particularly queer i think there's a lot of still you know conservative ideas about the future there and um so like yeah so it feels so rare like to to get this kind of sci-fi that does just weave it in so naturally and um just makes it part of the world and it's just you can just be there and exist and it's not this um like you said see just not an element of spectacle or does that play into you know, just for for kylan and rowan like i've heard uh I, stop me if i'm jumping the gun sound but um i've heard that in terms of who you are as a character because so there's this aspect of the ai but then is there an aspect in the character creation or in the way that you can be in this world as well 
that is inflected by this where you can kind of because i think i've heard that you can kind of choose it's quite it's quite open-ended in that sense yeah i don't know if you just want to talk through it but like the 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 character creator in this is um really good it's um it's 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 light years ahead of some other games um which, which we, we won't we can name, say this time I, cyberpunk twenty seven. i can confirm <laughs> Oh, I was I was going to be euphemistic here okay, and be like, yeah, you I, had a, I, game... I feel like we should mention what the euphemism was just because I, I I was really impressed by it. Oh yeah, I was going to say yeah, I was like I I says um I won't name the other games, but can confirm that they rhyme with hyperfunk plenty sesame heaven. Okay, my bad, my bad. <laughs> I came up with that. Thank <laughs> my you. My bad. Yeah, I worked I, hard I, just, on this. It, the, the the world <laughs> needed to know. Yeah, you're um, right. You're right. <laughs> I've mocked up a version of the cover with this, okay? okay. I worked very hard in my in my dumb joke, thank you. Um, but it's nice, like, it was, like, one of the things when I played the demo that was, like, because it's, it's the first thing you do there is, like, you, you go into the character creator and you you visually create your character and then separately choose the pronouns. And I noticed that there's a there's a thing option to create custom pronouns as well. Um, and yeah, and then you get a little because you have your X in the game and you get a little customization of over them as well and their pronouns. Um, and I thought like just it, it's I guess it's frustrating because in, in, in one sense, like that stuff seems so simple. And yeah, it's stuff that like, you know, it seems so like like just this is it. That it's that easy, and yet we play so many games where it just they bungle it, and you know the the it's almost like they put more work into rigid creating these rigid boxes for things when they could just go yeah just put that stuff in the players' hands. That has been a bit of well, not a bit, but that was definitely a, a conscious choice. Um, again, like I mentioned, my background is is in UX UI, so I've definitely mm -hmm. made character creators before. Um, and and you're absolutely right in in the ease of of making things more inclusive and more open um for uh, uh for our, our custom pronoun pop-up um we already had variables that we were tracking for all the different characters and crew members um just you know we have a it's a, it's a very narrative heavy narrative heavy game where characters can um, be in different roles so we needed to know uh who, you know, who was talking what were their correct pronouns so with those variables are like let's just make it open to the player they can just put in whatever they want um that was pretty easy we were gonna uh it also gives us a little bit of flexibility for other languages um and starting to see like okay these are the variables in english we might use different variables for french and spanish and other other languages um a little bit more gendered options and that gives us the visual way to be like, okay, this this is what we're this is what needs to be exposed to the player. This is how we are going to structure narrative in the rest of the game um, using these pronouns and these variables. But it was very easy. It was just it's stuff that's already exists. Just make it available to the player. Um, same with body types, like just separating body types from pronouns. Um, super easy. Like and again, long. Uh, Long Journey is, is meant to be an example to other games, to other studios of, of hey, this, this shouldn't be scary, shouldn't be crazy. This is a way to do it um, that's that's fairly unintrusive um, and, and just you're opening up the experience to more people um, so that they can feel seen. The same with the X, you know, just having, it was a way to, to get around, not get around, but to uh, open it up to, um, uh, different sexual sexualities and uh, 
you know, who is your ex? I don't know. Put their pronouns in, you know, and then that's that's who they are. That is the state of your relationship with your ex. Um, so we wanted to create an experience that was uh, quintessentially queer, but also open to people who maybe were not in the queer community. Uh, so one of in, in a sci-fi universe that is there's no homophobia, no transphobia, no misogyny. Um, what what is sort of essentially queer in that, that there is still this us versus them, this feeling like an outsider as a sentient AI in a universe full of organics. Um, and in our universe, sentient AI are actually viewed um, with hostility and a lot of distrust um, based off of past experiences and, and histories. So coming into this universe, creating yourself as a sentient AI, which what gender does AI have whatever they want to have so the player can pick whatever they want coming into this universe and then being the other being in a hostile universe still um, that is that's you know unfortunately still a part of the queer experience but we were reshaping it reframing it in a way that opens it up to to people who may not necessarily be part of the the queer the queer family um, very conscious choice and I, and I I feel like it's I feel like we're fairly successful um, in that so far, anyways. Um, that was, anyways, the thought process behind that. Um, I think it's interesting because um, I think that when you're talking about the AI there, I think that's interesting because I guess it's like you tap into sort of the a lot. I think that something's very shared a lot between a lot of queer people is that that that's feeling of being an outsider and stuff, but without making it. Um, tied to queerness in a way where you're, you know, you're you're going to this game, you're going to this piece of escapism, and you're still being targeted for that. So to sort of separate those things, but keep it in there, I think that's yeah. From when I was playing the demo, it was something that like I thought worked really strongly. Um, it's interesting too because I think, like you're saying, uh, Kylan, it's it seems like such a simple thing to do, and it's when you normalize it, like you can, I think maybe about like you're saying, giving people the tools to see how simple it can be because we we don't realize like even myself it's happened to me where you you end up slipping into these ways of thinking about things even even when you're not trying to you know because the 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 world presents itself to you with these kinds of like pseudo binaries and i think it's it's refreshing in the sense of you know we we think to ourselves like we have these studios with massive consultants and all these teams trying to think like how can we make this it's sensitive to this community and you're sort of like well it's maybe maybe it's it's about less complexity in a way like in, in a good sense that like it's it's a there's a simple principle which is just keep it open i, I did want to ask um so I, that's actually interesting i i just a, a little bit about myself i'm i'm half spanish so I've, I've interacted a lot with the having to adjust like spanish language to be more queer affirming and like gender affirming and funnily enough and we won't make this about the episode about this but there's a lot of pushback in anglophone communities who don't know anything about Spanish to the idea of Spanish being an inclusive language. Like I've seen a lot of this kind of pushback of like, you can't change it. This is all like white Western people trying to turn Spanish into this thing. I don't, I personally don't think that's reflected in reality. There's like vibrant queer movements all over the Spanish speaking world. And they've all had to like deal with this question. But I was just curious if that's something, I don't know if you're at that stage yet, but like, is that something you're having to incorporate on a design or writing level? uh when you're when you're writing it or is this something that you're going to sort of because it is more challenging because it it kind of permeates the whole language uh and there's different solutions to how you can make things new gender neutral or, or you know but yeah it's just a just a question 
No, for sure. Uh, and it's a great question. It, it's something that um, looked at a bit, at least in the early stages of like, okay, are we, you know, are we stepping into something that's going to blow up in our face later? Um, and uh, talked with um, talked with a few localization um, uh, ex experts, I guess, um, who uh, do localizing in, in different languages and bringing up some of the concerns. Um, then it, at past studios that I'd been at, um, that was it was brought up why they didn't want to do non-binary characters mm. is for localization purposes. Um, at, but then when I kind of every time I tried to push it a little bit, I was like, well, it can't be that like. Yeah. Gotta be some, gotta be some way to do it. Um, yeah. It started to get into the like, hand wavy. Like, well, I'm not fluent in it, but I've heard that it's yeah. difficult. And I've heard, and I'm like, okay, well, how difficult is it really? I, I, you know, I'll be quite frank. Like, I'm I'm a dumb American. Like, you know, I speak one language fluently and another language very very poorly. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, I I don't have a ton of insight into it. Um, but talking with the, the localization people that we had been talking with, um, at least early on, uh, they brought up different solutions of, um, you know, either working within the rules that currently exist in the language, um, but also bringing up, hey, you know, language is fluid and it evolves, and this is another this is another way to potentially have um, have non-binary pronouns or or characters in a language that is inherently quite gendered. Um, Cool. Yeah, I don't know. At, languages are fa fascinating. My um, my husband is actually Filipino and, and speaks Tagalog fluently, uh, which I was surprised to find out there are no gendered pronouns um, in Tagalog. Uh, uh, he uh, he would always switch um, switch pronouns with his friends, and they would they would do that as well. And I always assumed they were just teasing each other. Um, but then one day he actually brought up, he's like, yeah, he's like, we don't have that in Tagalog. And I, I keep mixing them up all the time. Um, and that was so just such Tagalog a Tagalog like, uh, translation will be easier. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, that That was such like this light bulb moment of like, wait, you, what do you mean? You don't have, like, there's none. There's no, he's like, yeah, there's just, that's a, it's a person. Like, there's no real equivalent. It's just everybody's a, a, a person. There's no, mm. you don't put a gender when you're for the pronouns for it. Um, and I was like, well, I can't everything be like that that would make things so much easier um does that affect like for rowan i'm just curious does that affect the way that you write in when you're writing i'm assuming in english like what, having to account for these concerns or yeah i think localization is always something that's kind of at the forefront of uh writing's mind especially because we want to be able to a influence sort of globally but we have to defer to kind of like localization experts to say you know you know what's best for the culture. And yeah. uh, I, I think sort of within the frame of being part of a Western audience ourselves, um, just by dint of like where we're located and sort of our own backgrounds, I think we want to write as openly as possible and then kind of like winnow down from there when, when we need to. I suppose as well, um, the, uh, uh, the, the feature of being able to enter your own pronouns sort of remedies that problem in a few ways especially because i've done a i've done a little bit of research into it like of, of very surface level stuff um but it does seem like even in like some uh, even even in within queer spaces in countries that don't have uh inherently have uh gender neutral uh language um that there are sort of 
um, different terms from place to place that people have yeah. sort of uh, developed themselves uh, as, as a as a solution. Um, so I suppose it, it, good shout um, on uh, on on putting that feature in and trying um, and and the fact that you're trying again that's yeah, refreshing. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody, many many studios don't even want to try. I mean that's that's part of the again like going back to why why crispy exists you know why being an indie dev exists of um i totally get being you know risk averse when you have you know hundreds and thousands of people on a payroll you want to make sure that they keep their jobs um but being an indie studio you know a smaller indie studio we're more nimble we can take more risks um we do uh crispy is a um we have quite a few queer people <laughs> that are working um at crispy so uh including those voices that may not necessarily be heard in bigger studios um we're like let's you know we keep being told no all this time like let's just try it you know and and if it mm. if it gets too hard we'll we'll figure out what to do there but it seems like it's possible it's just hasn't been fully tested and oftentimes like the fear of untested things is bigger than actually just doing it yeah. um mm. so that's why we're like let's just make it like a super queer sci-fi game you know and and then just what you know see what happens um and it's been pretty cool so uh i don't know yeah it's like let's just just try it and then <laughs> we're successful it becomes that much easier just to show everybody else hey put in custom yeah. pronoun pop-up it's not that big of a deal like really you'll be fine um on the subject of pronouns, actually, something that um, something that I, I, I noticed in uh, in the demo is um, quite a lot of the characters that you run into have their pronouns listed uh, underneath their names, and it's it's frustrating that it's noteworthy. Uh, the um, that like it's such a simple little thing, but I that's the, the this is the first game I've ever seen that does that. Uh, and I was curious to know um, what the impetus was behind that decision. Well, I mean, again, it was uh, uh, it was meant to show um, it, it was, again, consciously done, but to show like ima imagining a world without homophobia, transphobia, where pronouns are more like honorifics, you know, Mr. Miss, Mrs. Uh, and then you just the idea of when you introduce yourself, uh, pronouns are just part of that introduction like like everything else um and that's kind of why we showed it of of this idea of like hey everybody that you talk to everybody in here that's just that's the universe that's just how it is everybody has their pronouns there because you know it's it'd be considered quite rude to assume them one way or the other um i mean it was part that that was uh it was done consciously but it was also you know looking at becky chambers work where uh she has um I believe in her work, they have like a neutral pronouns before people say what their pronouns are. You refer to them, certain pronouns, and then when they, when someone actually says what they are, then you switch to those. And that to me was, I grew up down south in the southern US, uh, so being polite is a very big thing. To me, that just seemed like an incredibly polite thing to do. And I was like, I like that. Like, mm -hmm. I want to just take that and put it everywhere. That just seems like the nicest thing to do. Um, so I don't know, there's a lot of things, but that, but yeah, it was like, just put it in, you know, it's part of, it was part of the UI. It's been part of the UI from the beginning. Um, 
And again, it's it's smaller than the name. It's just there along with everything else. And it's like, eh, it's a small thing. Just put it in, you know. I think I think it was surprising me when I was playing it until you've just mentioned Astrid. Like I hadn't even really thought about it. Like it just was so natural. Like yeah, like like because when you're going through the crew menu and it's all just there, like like I remember taking note of it, going, oh, they're the them. They're you know like mm. never taking note of it. But it was I guess it surprised me. I didn't think of it in terms of like like it just felt so obvious. Yeah, because it it's, so natural. it's such a common. It's such like a. It's it's just such a common part of socializing in queer spaces um that it was almost secondhand just like i i almost glossed over it entirely but um uh actively thinking about it it's just yeah there's no there aren't really any games that that, that are doing that that's quite cool So in terms of the game itself, I think um, just to give an overview for people who, are, who have not played the demo, um, although you should go play the demo, go to the Kickstarter and support them. It's very cool. Um, it's so it's basically it's like a crew management RPG sort of thing. There's a big narrative element, um, and you you play this AI, so you sort of have this omniscient like view, overview of your crew, and you're sending them off to do jobs when you dock at stations, and then. You're playing through these like sort of narrative um, beats with them. Um, I guess it's not a world away from what people may expect from stuff like Sunless Skies or something like that. Um, but um, but yeah, I guess like one thing that I really want to talk about is the fact how how woven in queerness is into into it. Um, you know, you've talked about making it just a part of the world, and it definitely is. It's just there in the fiber of it, and particularly in the cast of characters. There's a really there's a there's a really wonderfully diverse cast um here who all who all look great like they've all got really good character designs and stuff um truly is probably my favorite they're just like very cool um but i don't know if you just want to walk walk through a bit about creating those characters and sort of weaving queerness in a way that feels like right to you and sort of making it natural like how, how do you approach all that absolutely um so there's a lot a lot of thought went into the characters um just because they are they are these bespoke um, people and and one of the not the driving force but a big part of the game experience. Um, uh, I mean, on the one hand, um, one element of, of sort of the queer experience is, is found family and and sort of creating your own, creating a new family, creating a family with other people. Um, so with that, we uh, uh, it, it's why the design does make the player fairly reliant on the crew to do things um, and that you you do depend on them. They also depend on you uh, and you get to learn more about them and discover uh, what are they running from? Uh, why are they going with a sentient spaceship? Um, all of that sort of reliance, uh, reliance on each other. Um, in terms of their original creation, at past studios, um, quite often, whenever uh, Rowan can speak to to their experience. Um, for for me, I've I've found uh, 
whenever it was brought up to create a character that was more inclusive, to create a character that was uh, not cisgendered or um, heterosexual or monogamous or able-bodied or any of that, um, whenever it was brought up, hey, can we make a character that's a little bit different? We always had, there was a, there had to be a justification. We had to say, well, this is why this person has to be different. We kind of had to defend why they had to be different. Um, which I never, I never got those same questions when we would create characters that were uh, gendered, able-bodied, heterosexual, all of that. That was always a bit frustrating of seeing that that sort of double standard. Um, for Long Journey, we, we flipped it. We actually have a diversity matrix that all of our characters have to adhere to. Um, so everybody has to be something. They, uh, uh, no one character can be all four of those things that I just mentioned. No character can be cisgendered and heterosexual and able-bodied and monogamous. Everybody has to be something. That was sort of the, the starting point of like, well, what, what do we make there? And what do we make that doesn't feel, who, what kind of characters do we make that don't feel like tokenism? You know, it's like, oh, well here, we have our, we have our character that hits this marker and we'll check box, move on. Um, with that matrix, that diversity matrix, we just started putting combinations together. Like, well, what, you know, who would be like this? What sort of person would be like this? What would, uh, what would their personality, what would their struggles be that would resonate with someone who, uh, who is non-binary or who might be, um, uh, uh, might be disabled and trans, like who would that what would be a part of their personality and how would that person exist in the sci-fi universe that we've created um so looking through that there were some uh at least initially for me there were i started to resonate it started to ping on other people i had encountered in my life um so all the characters are, are really people that i want to go on a road trip with almost the uh <laughs> ayla is part of um uh part of a, a, a former hairstylist that I had, um, who was a gay Jewish man from Brooklyn who lived during the AIDS crisis. Um, and talking to him, uh, he, uh, he, talked about, he talked about a lot of the pain of seeing all of his loved ones pass, pass on from the AIDS crisis and how difficult it was for him to, to find someone to connect with and all of this. Um, and that, that really like sort of struck a chord with me of like, well, what if we had a character who also lost a lot of loved ones, um, who was queer and was part of this, maybe this uh, utopian movement of bionic uh, people who saw saw like the future is is the merging of people and tech. Um, that's kind of where Ayla came about of this, this older lesbian maternalistic character uh, who's a bit of Mad Max as well thrown in there just because Fury Road is really cool, and the many mothers are really cool. Um, but then, yeah, but then we also had, I mean, we had Matthias, who's a drag queen on the run, uh, inspired a bit by, like, former neighbor, um, who uh, uh, is also gay and very just big and bombastic. And I've, I've known uh, a few drag queens. We actually had a drag queen at our wedding. Um, so I was thinking, like, okay, well, what does a drag queen look like in the sci-fi universe? Why would they be on the run? Um, knowing a few drag queens, I'm like, oh, there's quite a few reasons why some of them might be on the run. So <laughs> it kind of makes sense. Um, but again, you know, Matias started to come through of like, well, yeah, this this big performer, this big uh, person who is dealing with um, 
dealing with getting older as a performer and maybe not being able to do all the death drops anymore and feeling uh, a bit self-conscious of, you know, how can they continue in this career as an older uh, uh, older gay performer? Um, that's some of his issues that he that he deals with. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I could talk about all of them. Denny is inspired by a high school friend um, who was a little shit. Uh, he was just a complete <laughs> little shit, and uh, uh, we were they like, were okay. they were the surprise in the cast actually because they're introduced and I just assumed oh everyone's gonna be so nice and he's 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 the, the total shit of just like. <laughs> Yeah, like, <laughs> not undermining you exactly, but yeah, really, like, it, I was always caught out by these little moments of them, like, pushing your buttons and stuff, and I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> like, it was really good, really, what's really, it, like, enjoyed that. What's it like trying to bring those characters to life, Rowan? Like, I know you're doing the narrative stuff, like, is it, like, how, what kind of challenges have you had trying to get those different voices to the fore, or, you know, have you been able to use, I guess, some of your past experience doing writing um, to kind of, like, help frame that? Yeah, I would absolutely say that the pillars that kind of Kevin brought up about there being a diversity matrix to adhere to are great things to kind of refer back to. But um, especially like the, the question that you asked about authenticity, I think is great because not only do I get to say triumphantly that like the majority of the team is queer, which we recognize and celebrate in one another, but that we have a great deal of intersectionality as well, which is so important to a game like Long Journey. These characters are incredibly diverse and that in and of itself is integral for writing them and for making this story inherently queer. Um, and I think specifically to the point of how we're working it into them, these are the stories that we're telling about and for ourselves, our culture, the people we know and love, and the people who are looking to see and find themselves in media represented in a way as never before. Um, when it comes to writing the voices specifically, I, I have to give a hand to uh, our narrative designer, Martin, because he's been doing a fantastic job writing some of the character dialogue already. And he has a very strong idea in mind of kind of like who these characters are and how we can best represent them through making them like people, making them, hmm. I mean, Denny is a little shit and like, <laughs> Writing for him is all about like. I haven't even channeling. played the game, and he, oh, I think yeah, he's a fuck little Denny. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's but there's like a reason. Over the name of the video now. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what I love is that there's a reason he's a little shit. You know, like yeah. he's yeah. In this big sci-fi world, he's still disabled, and he he that leaves a chip on his shoulder, um, which he bring. You know, he brings that to everything. You know, he's like, mm -hmm. well, yeah. Would have been able to walk if he was born on a different planet, uh, but he wasn't. Uh, so he he brings that. Denny's also trans. He's uh, uh, you know he hasn't transitioned, and he sort of brings that chip on his shoulder as well. If he was born on a different planet, it would have been much easier, but he wasn't. Mm -hmm. So he he mm -hmm. takes that with him everywhere and um, presents that to you as the player. Like he'll help you out, but he's he's still he's got a lot of issues. Um, just from where he's born. And he's very self-reliant. That's um, why he's a pickpocket. That's why he steals stuff. And if anybody accuses him, can you accuse the crippled boy? Oh my God, you are a terrible person. And he'll lean into that. He totally, totally will lean into that of, of um, whatever he needs to do to survive because he's learned to rely on himself. Um, I don't know. That may come from personal experience and seeing other people as well. But um, yeah, all of that. I, 
I love all the characters. I, I love Denny too, but yeah. In terms of like with the with the main character that you play as this the shape AI, obviously you get to name them and customize them and stuff. But in terms of bringing sort of presenting i mean how do you handle the sort of potential queerness of the of the main character the player character in terms of providing them opportunities to express that or like exploring that sort of how how do you go about managing that and weaving that in there um with obviously the caveat that yes yeah, customizable and there's you know all these different elements at play how do you sort of write in these scenarios and stuff into script because it definitely felt like a very personable player character that you get to play as it didn't feel like and uh, you know some sort of name weird shapeless avatar you're you're you have definition and just yeah how do you go about sort of integrating them into this like sort of queer world so specifically to kind of like call back to one of the things that you had mentioned earlier, which is like we have these games that are out there that are somewhat queer in the sense that people have written for possibilities and scenarios in which you can express yourself. I feel like we're, we're really actively striving not to do the thing that I've heard called, and I don't know if this is correct, player sexual, right? Like when a, a character is not actively representing mm. diversity, it's just that they happen to kind of circumstantially be a diverse queer character like stardew valley yeah. for example never really did a great job of kind of right. like showing off that you are a queer character so much as like you you can be um there's just not a, a nod to it and i think the distinction there for me is kind of like between active and passive representation like mm -hmm. we want to actively be able to have these characters feel and, and you as the player feel as though you are playing through the experience of being who you are or who you want to be. I think that's I think that's a really nice way to put it actually active versus passive because I think obviously um I think we there's there's games that I enjoy um and I was thinking of like Assassin's Creed Odyssey actually is is a game that I love to bits. Um but it's sort of weird that in a way sexuality and particularly in a historical context within that game that sexuality is this thing that exists sort of but like no one really acknowledges it in any way. It's just sort of is and there is a sort of weird, I, I guess it's sort of as a queer person, it becomes this weird thing where it's like, it's like, it's there, but it's also not. And it's sort of, mm, it's like, it's not terrible or anything. It's not a bad thing, but it certainly, it just feels like a missed opportunity. And it was one of the things that I, I did enjoy playing through the demo um, um, of A Long Journey to an Uncertain End was that the player character and sort of their queerness was there and acknowledged in a way um and which was particularly impressed as, as i say because obviously you have all these customization options um i think it was like really encouraging it, it reminds me again of the um you know hyperfunk spebity spebin or whatever you know the <laughs> the euphemism is for the for the game hyper hyperfunk because... plenty sesame heaven it's plenty so easy sesame to remember heaven, yeah. Because because another interesting thing about that was I remember um, I played a, as a, uh, a female character and I really wanted to uh, romance um, Panem, I remember. And I remember the game. And, and in a way, it's like the point I'm trying to get to. So the, the, with Panem, she actually has a preference and you can't. It, it, she only likes men, quote unquote. And it's what's interesting about that game is it's not that I don't think people should ha are allowed to have preferences and, and it's fine. But what's interesting about the gameplay mechanics and how the narrative is told in that game is that, as we all know, again, without beating a dead horse, 
I think a lot of the issue with that kind of game, that game and that kind of game, is that they sell you a particular idea of openness in the design. So they say, you can do anything in this game. Like, go in and you can do anything. You, anything can happen. You can be anyone. You can do anything. So in my head, I'm thinking, oh, well, like, maybe it'll develop. You know, I don't know. I don't know how complex the narrative is, or maybe she initially isn't interested, but she could develop. But then I remember there was this kind of feeling of kind of being crestfallen when I read, like, oh, there's just characters who just, they're just this or this, and that's the only thing they can be. And, yeah, so it's, I guess what I'm getting at is that it sounds to me like from what you are describing, Obviously, I, I haven't played the game. I've watched the trailers and stuff. But that it sounds like you're trying to, you know, mechanically integrate the actual experience, that, that experience of openness and of there being these possibilities in a way that doesn't shut down the player's, you know, sense of being immersed in this world. Um, because if, if you're supposed to be the sentient AI who has these different experiences and this, you know, these desires or whatever they might be, um, I'm interested because I'm, I'm seeing them. There's kind of like these resource management. There's a lot of different layers to this game. But it strikes me like you're at least it, it seems like you're thinking about these problems. And I, I think trying not to get into the issue of the kind of cognitive dissonance that we see in a lot of like, um, you know, door picking, like choose choose which door you're going through. Is it door A or door B? And that's kind of that's the whole of the narrative experience, I guess. Again, making the choice of the player as AI sort of removes it enough from, um, I guess, our current gender expression understandings of like, you know, well, could you fall in love with an AI? Well, mm -hmm. you know, if they are presenting as male, you know, and you're not attracted to, you know, organic, organically male people, could you be attracted to a AI presents as male, you know, or an AI that can change their presentation or whatever they want? Um, it's, it's an interesting question. It's an interesting thing of like, well, they could be with it you know people would be probably be more open to exploring relationships with you the player as an ai on the flip side um we are also looking at um power dynamics in relationships which is a big thing with your abusive ex chasing you uh so if you are in a relationship with someone who can jettison you into space at any point that's those power dynamics are pretty pretty big so mm -hmm. Can you have a relationship with any of the crew? You know that would ever be healthy. Mm. Uh, if if they, you know they don't want to piss you off. I think um, yeah, that's a that's a really interesting point actually because I was thinking about um, how you mentioned that the characters are sort of relying on each other. There is this um, familial um, thing about the crew and the the player character, um, which is interesting because in a lot of um, triple a stuff um where there's choice narrative for players the, the problem with a lot of romances is that the player character is usually put in a position of power as part of the the power fantasy that they are mm -hmm. they are given in the game whether that's in charge of an organization or a ship or whatever so there's always like a, there is a sort of weird um the, a sort of unspoken unacknowledged which is makes the, it even weirder the fire emblem but, three houses problem yes <laughs> yeah um of you know you're you're this character you ostensibly have this role and this power and this authority and responsibility but you it becomes weird because the game doesn't even like sort of interrogate it at all it's just so again it's one of those things that just goes unspoken and um i guess it was interesting with this that um you the ai aren't necessarily positioned as in charge as such you're the ship and you're helping them and you have you have this sort of like um back and forth with the crew 
um that i thought was i mean just nice in a general sense um and i don't there's a scene in the demo um, with truly pretends to be the captain and like oh you need to pretend i'm the captain and ever since i keep calling them uh, captain truly like i just didn't switch that off in my brain and i'm like oh yeah they're the captain and i was like oh my god i've been doing it so easily um but I think I think that was like sort of refreshing, like particularly coming from stuff like Mass Effect and stuff, where it's like you're the you're Commander Shepard, and but here you are sleeping with your subordinates, and the game nobody has issue in this, um, and the game doesn't seem to acknowledge it, and it's it's weird, and it's one of those things I'll be curious when the the new one, the 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 legendary edition and yeah. stuff comes out, and there's some new players or people are revisiting. I'm curious to know how people reflect on that in in the years since. Okay, so um, in terms of the bigger scope, we've we've taken shots at a lot of different games. Um, but to, to spin it positive, um, what are what are some like game, whether that be characters or, or games about queerness that that really resonated with you? Um, and something that they did that you think really is stand out. Is there any games or queer characters that that really stand out to you in that? Well, I'm actually wearing a T-shirt of my favourite queer character in a video game. <laughs> Um, Crash, Crash Bandicoot. Crash Bandicoot uh, the what a himbo. Uh, video game character. <laughs> you know, my, my first time ever testing a game when I was working as a, as a game tester was uh, was on a Crash Bandicoot. Was Crash Tag Team Racing. Um, oh, wow. Whoa, like we know what it was really okay. about then. Crash yeah. Tag Team Racing. Come on. <laughs> I, um, um, Crash sorry, Super what Poly. I'm... Yeah, exactly. I'm going to say, uh, actually, I was struggling to think about this, but one I thought of was, um, do you remember Vamp from MGS2? Oh, mate, yeah. There is a, there is an, I don't know if they say it explicitly, but I think that there's an, a strong... They, they say it very explicitly. Yeah, they do, right? Yeah. <laughs> Quite explicit, yeah. And I think... Well, it doesn't, it doesn't make it, they say it very explicitly, but so in Metal Gear Solid 2, there's a sequence where um, it's Raiden talk to someone, I can't remember who, and they tell Raiden, they're like, oh, you know why he's called Vamp, right? It's because he's bisexual. Yeah. And I was like, and I remember, I remember he's huh? like, as a young kid, I, I remember as a young kid being like, what? And then as an adult being like, what? Yeah. Like, I'm so, <laughs> nothing has changed. Well, well, I want to so say, like... when I had, you know, before I had my burgeoning sense of myself and who I was, I remember all the complaints about MGS2 and people being like, oh my God, so like, Raiden, I want to play a snake and oh, he's so like, gay and whatever. And I'm just like, I kept being like, I kind of like, like, I get to like play as all these like naked boys and like just they're just <laughs> running at each other and just like, I, I didn't realize at the time, but <laughs> Kojima, I'm not going to credit him because he could be a creep as well. But there's, there's a thing. I think there's something in his vision that like, because of what, you know, it's slightly more expansive than other people. It, it means that there can be characters like that in his universe. And I just wasn't seeing that in other games. I think there's a lot of unintended homoeroticism yeah. in Metal Gear Solid. Maybe there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's my that's my example. Um, so it, it, it's funny you mention Metal Gear's um, uh, interesting queer characters because uh, one of my favorites is Colonel Volgin from Metal Gear Solid. Oh 3. yeah, is I okay? Yes, but it's kind of weird because doesn't he? 
Doesn't he like try he's, to grab you or something? So he's framed as a little creepy. I'm, he's a, a little. Yeah. He's a little bit creepy, but I do love. I the it's it's so funny to me uh, because you you disguise yourself as um, you disguise yourself as a general in his army. Yeah. Uh, who it turns out uh, he's fucking. Um, right. And okay. the way you so he are... thought it was consensual. Yeah, so the way the way that you're um, revealed to be actually uh, Snake is um, he grabs your crotch uh, and identifies that you are not actually the general because that's not his penis. Um, this is and... this is what we have. This is this is yeah. This is this is this is, this is, this is what, you know what this is what we got. But like I I you know. Yeah. Okay, Rowan, Kylan, you've got to save us. Give, give us, no, give us no, some, no. give us, give, give me some fresh, less problematic examples. No, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because like when I was growing up, I, I played a lot of JRPGs and I was just mm. talking with Kylan about this, but like, I remember one of my first uh, experiences kind of like encountering a queer character and like. I don't know, it blew my mind, is uh, Flea from Chrono Trigger. I don't know. Yes, if I can't believe I didn't think of that. Yeah, that oh, for me, so good. that was legitimate. I was like eight or nine and I was like, oh my God, this is, this is like my favorite character now. And I, yes. I'd be lying if I said that wasn't like transition goals, right? Like the, the very, like it's the AMAB character who presents very feminine. And I think that there are a lot of kind of problematic tropes generally with sort of JRPG representation. I really appreciate actually how uh, the remake of Final Fantasy VII kind of reframed Cloud, like going over this this makeover moment. Um, but I feel like that was my first introduction to like really queer characters in games, and like I was always thrilled to see them. So I, I kind of throw yeah, that she out says, there. Flea in Chrono Trigger says something like, "Man or woman, all I care about is power," or something like that. Yeah. I remember that, seeing what that as a kid, being like. Damn, and, her, and her dress is it's like it's like flapping around her as she's doing it you're like oh. yeah yeah, yeah, well, yeah i was um <laughs> it's interesting though because like i do because i do think like um, i mean most I, I was talking i was on a podcast the other day not our own podcast um normandy fm talking about jade empire and how jade Thanks. empire for me was like my first like real exposure to queer media where queerness wasn't a joke like this is and and Jade Empire is not great about queerness and like when you know like when you frame it and the way it's framed and stuff it's not great but it but it's sort of still important and I, I think there's a, there's a there's a commonality between a lot of queer people is their first exposure probably isn't from a really good queer mm. piece of media but it's more like this sort of weird accidental place mm. but that nonetheless becomes really weirdly foundational and important it's like um, the um it's like the the mainstream queer fascination with Disney villains, right? Because they're yes. coded. Mm. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's true, actually. Well, there's that one of my favorite authors said, "You can't reread unless misfits in the text signal the way." So I'm gonna say <laughs> that there's, you know, there, it, there's some of that rereading is good. That's why Crash is secretly queer. We couldn't reread yeah. it if he wasn't secretly. No, but I, I do got, mean that. I've got that a whole a... presentation prepared for that one. We'll go over it later. <laughs> the, the, yeah. There is an aspect of that reclamation that I feel like is common to a lot of like marginal communities of like learning to love these weird messed up things that we grew up with because of like you know the, the other way of reading them or you know fan fictioning them or, or, or turning them into something else it's like uh my my partner has um the animal crossing village of butch in their village uh who who is a, a sort of masculine dog 
uh, that that we have both decided is a he him lesbian. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, no, love little love little queer moments of reclamation for from things that don't even don't even want it. At it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have any so favorite funny. character, Kylan? Um, I mean, characters I, I do. Well, I, so, so Dream Daddy, I, I love just in oh. terms of how it represents um, the full spectrum of uh, not the full spectrum because it's your dad, but showing how like people with chest bindings can totally be dads. You know, people mm. like different body types can be dads, and showing that diversity there. That like the minute that I saw that, um, I was just like, yes, like this, 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 yes. Um, but some something recently that I played. Um, I don't know if you if y'all have done uh, played a Wander song. Um, oh, I heard about this. Is this the? It's a cartoony kind of right. It is. So um, it's uh, uh, so the main character is you're, you're a bard uh, oh. and you save the world through the only thing you know how to do which is sing um the the main character is non-binary um which i i'm personally not non-binary but i do love that they i love that presentation um in them what what i do what resonated with me um about wander song um is uh uh all that the bard has is the ability to sing and just sort of this seemingly unending bout of of optimism and they set out to, to save the world um, which to me felt, uh, I feel like a lot of times, um, the tools that, uh, queer people have are the arts, our creativity, our, it's not, let's go out and, you know, stab people and like, you know, murder hobo our way through the universe. Um, but, you know, let's create things, let's, uh, bring people together, let's form something beautiful and new and that's how to that's how we change the world I, I, like at least me personally you know making a game that's how i see changing the world um so something about wonder song and that i just felt super i felt just super queer like look we're just going to go through and sing and make things beautiful and uh and you do you do now it's not as like lofty and kind of flu flu as i've made it sound like there's definitely conflict and there's definitely there's a warrior that comes through and kills things and there's death and all this, but you as the bard kind of have to come to terms with that of like, if all you can do is sing, like what can you do in the face of straight up violence? Um, mm. And it comes in a really beautiful way. Um, I'm also a really, really terrible singer. Um, I love to sing, but I'm like really, really like I've been asked not to participate in voluntary singing events. Um, <laughs> so playing a game where you save the world through song was definitely something that I resonated with me in terms of uh, aspirational. It just occurred to me as well that in terms of intentionally designed characters, uh, Spiritfarer has a bunch of queer characters in it that feel really just like lovingly done and lovingly crafted. Um, and I also wanted to shout out something I just found out recently that the Pokemon Uranium fan hack has the choice to be a non-berry, non-berry, non-binary. Non-berry. <laughs> you could be a berry or a non-berry, and as well as non-binary. No, you could be a non-binary uh, character, which is just in the title yeah, screen. Yeah, like I just really fucking hate raspberries, mate. Your, like, <laughs> when you're choosing your trainer, you could be either one, uh, one of three, which is cool. I'm trying to think, like, I mean, of, of, of late, um, over the last year, 
I mean, a few queer characters. Obviously, I'd talked about really enjoying um, having a lot of resonation with um, resonation. Is that a word? I don't know. <laughs> We're um, stumbling over. Um, but uh, join the the Last of Us Part Two was like something that was surprisingly like I was surprised at how much I connected with that in a way. I think that was very particular to my like experience growing up and stuff. I think like I've talked to other people and it doesn't. And I think I think. I guess that's sort of an interesting thing about sort of queerness and queer and talking about the fact that a lot of like people's like foundational queer stories tend not to be like um good um more like you know this these little snippets of trash that they find it's more you know that like queerness isn't this monolith and there's there's so there's such an intersection between so many different things and I think I think it's good that you know you're making a game that sort of is all about that and it's all along these different axes and it's never just you know oh and here's our queer character and that's it you know it's it's just this whole thing you know across this whole spectrum and i think uh, it's just so refreshing because yeah i'm so used to like ju you know jumping into a game and then having to hunt for the queerness and it was nice to play something that's just permeated with it all mm. over you know um I love that too, that like queerness is not a monolith. That's like such, I'm going to crystallize that and put that in my brain forever. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, I'm quoting someone smarter than me, so I'm not taking credit <laughs> for it. But um, but uh, yeah, it's like, it's the idea of like, and I think, I think if you, and within queer communities and being in there, like, and it's, it's a point of like conflict within queer communities a lot of the time is like, there's, there are these conflicts over like labels and who gets to be, claimed to be who and stuff. Like mm. these conflicts do emerge, um, you know, and, and I think that speaks to the fact that, yeah, queer, queerness is not a monolith. There are all these different life experiences and people that are coming into that. Um, and I think, you know, the aspiration is obviously to acknowledge all our differences and come together in spite of that. And, um, yeah, and it was just, yeah, it's nice to play a game that sort of feels like, yeah, very much all about that. Um, you know, and you're using sci-fi as a vehicle for that, but, you know, it definitely feels very true to the world we live in. Um, is there any, before, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you just want to, I'm going to do a big show about your Kickstarter, but is there anything you just want to touch on before we wrap up for today? Um, I, I thank you for having us on. I love talking about this stuff. Uh, and I mean, with talking about people who are passionate and intelligent and have, you know, worthwhile things to say, oh. this has been really fantastic and fun. It's been yeah, an absolute same. pleasure to, to chat to the both of you this evening. I yeah, just, this has been lovely. Morning. Nebulous same. time. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> like, I want to follow your podcast. I want to, like, learn more about you and your group like this was such a such a nice experience so like thank you for having us and thank you for talking to us well also you're no. in the club because you you quoted you cited a snes jrpg <laughs> which is, you have no idea is, how much this means to siege so you have no idea like, yes. i was really restraining myself from being like and of course the final question for the show top 10 snes jrpgs <laughs> no, you know <laughs> two more hours Oh my God! Shining um, Force, Shining Force Two. Yeah, yeah. Oh. we're gonna we're gonna have the, we're gonna have you back on for a for a JRPG special. That's what oh my we're God. Gonna <laughs> um, so um, but yeah, no, thank you, thank you so much for coming on to talk about it. I think this one of those games, like I say, it popped up and was immediately like had all my full attention. So thank you. It's been lovely getting to speak with you. Um, and for listeners or viewers at home. 
if you like the sound of this, and why wouldn't you? You should you should definitely go and check it out. There, the link to their Kickstarter will be in the description, and you should absolutely go and support them. Um, I think this game's really something special. I think you should absolutely get on that. So do not miss that opportunity. Um, and also feel free to like and subscribe and share this video. Um, and if you've got thoughts on any of the subject matter discussed today, you can send your thoughts to community at glasshouse.games. You can comment below, you can tweet us. Um, and please, if you enjoy our stuff, please support us on Patreon. Um, there'll be a link to that in the description. And yeah, please support us. You and to our current Patreons who've been supporting us the whole time. Thank you so much. Like, you, it means so much to us. And we're gonna we're working on right now some some new stuff, some new exciting stuff to share with you in the future. So if you're one of our Patreons, you got that to look forward to. And if you're not, you could join us and you could get in on that. So you know, and it is very good. It. It's very good. Very, yeah, very it's easy. like we make good stuff. Like, yeah, <laughs> we're proud of it. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, thank you, um, Astrid and CG for joining me again. Um, thanks to Ryan and Kylan for joining us. It was wonderful having you on. Thank you. It was really wonderful to thank be you. here. And thank you to Ket, as always, for keeping things running, and to Dancy Parks for the music. I'm Samantha, and we'll talk again soon. Bye.